Hey guys, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans, I'm one of the pastors here, it's great to see you. Just a couple of things, I just want to, I was uh, involved with the crew thing, it was phenomenal, so thank you so much to everyone who led, or even if you came in for an hour or two to cut something up or, or service in some way, thank you so much. Uh, it, it was one of those things that I came away with going, with God's power and help, we as a church can do anything. And uh, I, I, was, I was blown away by that. Um, one of the great things I saw, there were so many great things, but one of the fun things I saw is that our property 62 um, on Friday, we had um, laser tag in it, and then we had an auction for it the next day. So, you know, a, a fitting send-off, I reckon. So, anyway, we will talk about that auction at the members' meeting. Um, the other thing I want to say is... We were served so well by the crew, by crew, the ministry crew, and we have their fearless leader here, Sophie, up the back. Sophie, do you just want to wave your hand? Yeah. Sophie is a legend. Um, go and say hello to her. She's very humble. She's probably embarrassed now and will never come back, but we just want to say thank you, Sophie. For, for your great work. Um, at, at MCC, we go through books of the Bible, and so that means that there are going to be, uh, sometimes we read a passage that is very comforting. Uh, for, uh, you know, and today we're looking at a passage that's very confronting. Um, and so, and yeah, I think there is comfort in it also. And so we're going to look at uh, Exodus 32 today. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would speak to us wherever we're at with you, whether we uh, follow you and love you and we serve you, or we're trying to figure out where we're at with you. I pray that you would help us to see who we are and who you are, and uh, help us to see uh, what you have done for us, but also maybe the, na- the ways we need to change in response, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the confronting things about having kids, I'm not sure if you've seen this, if you've got kids, is that your good, the good things about your personality and character uh, come across in them, but also the bad things. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. I remember I was on the phone um, to uh, one of uh, to, to my uh, mum. And I was talking about one of my kids. I forget which one. I forget what was happening. But I was saying, hey, mum, this, this particular kid is doing this and it's really frustrating, blah, blah, blah. And my mum straight away said, oh, well, you used to do that. In fact, you did that as a kid. You used to do that as a teenager. And I was like, mum, this is not the kind of comfort that I wanted right now. And, uh, you know, I got off the phone with mum. And then I said to my wife, Kate, I said, just had a really frustrating conversation with mum because I was talking about one of our kids who does this. And it was really frustrating. And then Kate goes, oh, you still do that? <laughs> and in fact, it's just a kind of more adult version of that, right? Part of the... F- Part of the problem with kids is, is it's kind of like looking in the mirror, right? I, I bring that up today because Exodus 32, I think, is a mirror for us and humanity. We're actually going to see ourselves in it. Even though we look at it and we go, oh, I dare say some of us at least will go, I can't believe the Israelites were so dumb. I can't believe they did these things, right? But actually, what we're going to see is that we shouldn't look at Exodus 32 and go, oh man, I can't believe they did that. We've got to actually stand beside them and go, actually, this is us also. It is very easy to look at Israel and and cast judgment. 
but actually we've got to turn that judgment on ourselves and go, okay, how are we like Israel? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to find out more about ourselves, but most importantly, we're going to find out more about the God that we serve, who he is, and what he has done. So we're going to look at three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see human nature, we're going to see God's forgiveness and God's judgment. Human nature, God's forgiveness, and God's judgment. Let me give you some context as we get into the first point, human nature. Um, if you haven't been with us as we've been looking through the book of Exodus, we've seen in chapters 1 to 19 that God saved his people. They were in slavery in Egypt and God miraculously saved them, brought them through the Red Sea. There was a bunch of plagues. There was a bunch of miraculous things. Miraculously, he fed them in the desert. And that's the first 19 chapters. God saved his people. From chapter 20, God teaches them how to serve him. In chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments, all the ten words from God. In chapters 21 to 23, there's a bunch of laws that, that God says, if you're going to be my people, this is how you're going to live. In chapter 24, they literally hear the words of God and they say, we're going to obey. The Israelites are going to say, I'm going to obey everything that God has said. But, as I dare say a lot of us know... One of those ten words from God, one of those ten commandments was this. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on, earth, on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. The second commandment. And once again, chapter 24, they say we're going to obey everything. And so let's jump in and see if they do. Have a look at chapter, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before, before us. As for this fellow who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Now, what you've got to see is this is actually quite hostile. The, the word in the original, when they, when they, talking about, when they talk to uh, gathered around Aaron, can be translated, probably should be translated, gathered against. It, it, it's the idea that they're coming to him with hostile intent. And can you see the kind of dripping hostility that they've got in the words when it says, as for this fellow Moses... Moses has led them out of slavery, and now they're going, oh, what's with this fellow? He's been up you know, on the mountain for about 40 days, and, and what, what is this? And so what do they want? They want gods that they can bow down to. Now, once again, what we've got to realise is this is not years and years and years and years after the Exodus. This is not... Excuse me, this is not years and years and years after they've said, we're going to obey. This is mere weeks. This is 40 days. And they are already going, actually, we want something else. We want, we want different gods. And so what do they do? Verse 2. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took the, their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast 
in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So all this gold fashioned into a shape of a bull or a calf, which is a very, very common uh, god or, or representation of a god back in the day. And notice what they say. These are your gods who took you out of Egypt. Now, it's kind of a weird thing. They made one calf, but they're talking about two gods, the plural. Why? I think, I think what the writer here is trying to emphasise is their idolatry. They're not just worshipping uh, a... Uh, like they're not worshipping Yahweh, they are worshipping any God here. They've just created a God. And, and then what happens? Verse 5 and 6, they party. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt and presented sorry, burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The sad thing is that those two sacrifices, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, only 40 days before this, they, they did the same uh, sacrifices to the God of the Bible in chapter 24. And now they're giving the same offerings to a God that they have just created. And can you imagine how offensive this is to God. God has saved them. And even though they have complained that there's a God has, has done so much for them, he's given them water and, and food miraculously. He has said, out of all the nations, I have chosen you out of my great love for you. And then Moses is away for 40 days. And they're like, oh, we've got to have new gods. This is the God we're serving. It would be a bit like this. I'm not sure if you've ever rescued someone who was drowning, but imagine you did. Imagine you rescued someone that they were drowning in a pool. You jumped in. You did the, the lifeguard, the Baywatch thing. You, you pulled them to the side. You got them out. They were saved. In fact, you did that. And imagine five minutes later, they are praising someone else for saving them, for wouldn't you be a bit frustrating, frustrated? But they're actually, the Israelites are praising an inanimate object for saving them. It would be a bit like if the person that you saved went up to a mannequin and said, oh, this mannequin saved me. How awesome is this mannequin? This is the offense that is in this passage. See, here God has saved them, but these guys are giving credit to these non-gods. They are worshipping an idol. Now, one of the problems that we see in our world is that we're, we're in a world that is full of idols. But because we're Western people, we just don't see them. What is an idol? An idol... Is anything more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give? See, therefore an idol can be so many different things. We can seek to find out everything 
in our family or our work or money or leisure or anything. There are so many idols around. Our idol, our hearts are idol-making factories. A couple of weeks ago after church, um, one, of, uh, one of you actually came up to me and said, oh, Hans, why do you talk about idols so much? And I said, well, the Bible talks about idols so much all the time. And the reason why the Bible talks about the idols so much is that our hearts are idol-making factories. We want to find our worth in anything other than God, it seems. Just take something like achievements. What's very interesting about being in Sydney for almost, I think, over 20 years now, and growing up in Moree, is that you see that Sydney is a place where people are striving to achieve, striving to get their name uh, recognised, striving to get the next promotion, striving, striving, striving for more. Growing up in Moree, you really didn't go up the ladder, right? So there wasn't this thing of achievement growing up in Moree, but it's huge in Sydney. I read a lady this week, Mary Bell, who said this, Achievement is the alcohol of our time. These days, the best people don't abuse alcohol. They abuse their lives to achieve. We will do anything. We will go without sleep. We will neglect families. We will do everything so that we achieve, so that we get the kudos, the acclaim. I wonder if you're here and you are doing everything so you can achieve that next thing, whatever that is. Haven't we found an idol then? That is something that you are shaping your life around, you're giving your life to, so that you, if you get that achievement, then you'll feel good and you will feel good. But actually, shouldn't you find your contentment in God? That's what the Bible said. Achievement is one of the biggest idols we see in Sydney. And the question is, will you see achievement as shallow as it really is? The problem is, when you achieve something, no one cares the next day. I remember watching an interview with Robin Williams, and he talked about winning his Academy Award. And he said, for the next two weeks, people congratulated him. And then then after those two weeks, people just came up to him and said, Hi, Mork, how are you doing? They had totally forgotten about all his achievements. The problem with idols is you've got to have more and more and more of them to satisfy. That's why in the Bible, Israel goes after more and more and more different gods because they are looking for satisfaction. I wonder what idols you're chasing. That's the problem with human nature. We're always chasing idols, just like the Israelites. But then we've got to see that God is actually a forgiving God in the midst of all this. Have a look at verse 7 with me as we look at our second point, God's forgiveness. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people... Notice how God in chapter 24 said, this is my people. And now he is saying, these are your people, Moses. It's a bit like, you know, when your kid does something really bad. 
you say to your spouse, hey, your son or your daughter's done this, right? I thought that was kind of humorous, even though it's kind of really sad. Verse 7 again. Then the Lord said to, said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So God knows and God responds. Have a look at verse 11 with me. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give you your descendants all the land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his own people the disaster he had threatened. When, when I read these few verses, it raises a bunch of questions for me. We see Moses pleading with God. He reminds God of his promises that he made to, to the Israelite forefathers. And you go, wait up, did God forget? Did, did, did God go, like when Moses came up to him and go, hey, remember Abraham? And Moses go, oh, yeah, you're right. Totally forgot about Abraham and those promises. No, remembering, when God remembers in the Bible, it is that he is going to act on a previous thing. He has made previous promises and now he's going to act. Remembering is not just how we remember. I forgot this date and now I remember. It is... I am going to act on what has happened on the past. Here, the God of the Bible is acting on his promises that he has given from the past. And he relents. But here's the other question I've got. Is God not as forgiving and kind as Moses? I, I mean, you read this and you go... God has to be kind. It seems like God has to be argued into forgiving Israel. So it seems like God is a really angry God. And Moses is the guy who says, hey, actually, you, you're thinking about it all wrong, and God is finally convinced. I actually don't think that's what's happening. What we see in the Bible is that God is a God who knows the end from the beginning. And I actually think what's happened here is God was always going to forgive his people. And so why go on with this, all this stuff about I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth? I think it is God communicating to us how bad idolatry is. Now imagine if God said, uh, oh, you know, Moses, they're going out, they made, made a golden calf, but don't worry, I'm going to forgive them. We wouldn't get the idea of how angry and how hurt God is. But God communicates that through these threats. 
It, it, it is a bit like, you know, once again, if you've got a child, you talk to them about how angry you are and how, hey, I'm going to do this, but you've made it up in your mind that you're going to forgive. But you're trying to communicate with them how bad or, you know, what they've done is. It's the same thing. But here we see God is angry. But why? Why is he so furious? If he's the God who is, who is up there and he's perfect, why does he care? Why does he get so angry? I, I, I mean, some of us look at this passage and go, wait up, I, I believe in a God who, uh, who's all loving, not this God who gets angry like this. What we've got to realize is we've got to realize the nature of idolatry. Well, the repeated metaphor that God uses in the Old Testament for idolatry is of a woman who goes to sleep with a bunch of different men. And she's married to a man. God says, I am that man, and Israel, you are like that woman. So, see, imagine if you are married here, that happened to you. I can only imagine how heartbreaking that will be, how angry that would make you. And as you're thinking through that and feeling some of those thoughts, God is saying, that's, that's kind of how I feel when I see God, my people who I have saved Worshipping other gods. That's why I am so angry. That's why I'm so furious. Do you see how bad idolatry is? God is communicating that clearly. But here's the beauty. Just as God forgives his people here, God, has, God forgives us because of what he's done. God has forgiven us when we have chosen to find our happiness in things that are not him, our contentment in things that are not him, our identity in things that are not him. When Jesus died for us, that anger that God so rightly is sending towards us goes on Jesus. I, uh, one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have was a conversation I had about 15 years ago. Uh, it was, a, was with a friend, and um, he, he, he told me he had an affair. And I said, How, how's, how's your wife? And he said, she's so hurt and so furiously angry. I was friends with them both, and so I, I kind of uh, was talking to both of them over the next week or two. And she said, uh, I, I called her and she said, I'm so angry, I'm so hurt, it feels like my life has been ripped apart. And in the end, she decided to have him back and, and they're still married to this day and they've got a happy marriage, it's, it's taken a lot of work. But she said to me, the hard thing about having him back is I've got to forgive. I've got to forgive him. I can't, if I, if I forgive him, that means that I can't, can't punish him for what he's done. I, I, I've got to take on that anger on myself, that, that hurt. I've got to deal with it internally. 
And that's what she did because she truly forgave. When Jesus died on the cross for you, that is God taking his anger and his hurt and his fury against your sin on himself. He deals with it internally for you. So now you, God is not punishing you now because of your sin because he has dealt with it all on the cross. Can you see the magnitude of the pain of the cross now? But can you see his great love for you? My, my, my friend forgave her husband because of, his, of her great love. And that great love was seen in him, in her, once again, forgiving him, accepting him back, dealing with the trauma of forgiveness. We see great, God's great love for you by the fact that he dealt with the trauma of forgiveness in forgiving you. What should you do with this? Well, you should realise you can be totally sure of your standing before God. You can be totally sure that God is for you. You can be totally sure that God loves you. Just, just look at the cross. See, if, if the God of the Bible took on an eternity's worth of hell for you, can you get a grip of how much you're loved by that God? Can you get a grip of how safe you are for that God? Can you get a grip of how you do not have to worry about whether you're doing enough because he's done it all? Some of us here are wondering, well, have I done enough? Well, you haven't, but Jesus has. I wonder if my sin is too bad for God to love. No, 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 God loves you. He's proven it. Anytime you're doubting whether God is for you or loves you or has forgiven you, look at the cross where God went through the trauma of forgiveness for you. And let's have a look at God, this last point as we look at this passage and wrap it up. God's judgment. Have a look at verse 17 with me. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is, it is the sound of defeat. It, sorry, it is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. They are just partying. Verse 19, when Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets of his, out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it in powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. What? Why? Why would he go through this? Well, I think there's two reasons. As they are drinking that filthy drink, it's meant to go, do you realize how bitter this has made God and rightly bitter? It's as bitter as this drink. But also in Numbers chapter 5, we, we see a similar thing. If a, a, a husband suspects his wife has cheated on him, she's got to drink a kind of like this bitter drink. 
And just as the Israelites have committed spiritual adultery, they've been unfaithful, God is saying, this is how I'm going to communicate that to you. But have a look at Aaron. Have a look at verse 21. Moses says to Aaron, why did these people, what did these people do to you that you let, led them into such great sin? Aaron, you were the leader here. You have, you have spoken to God. You know, this is really significant. What, why? Notice what Aaron says, verse 22. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Oh, come on, Aaron. You expect us to believe that. And then we see a bloody mess. Have a look at verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today. You are against your own sons and brothers. He has blessed you this day. Can I just say, you, if you are feeling kind of disgusted at that, that, that's probably a good thing. You're not meant to wo- come away from 3,000 people being hacked to death, going, oh, man, that's great. No, no, this is meant to confront us and to go, do you realise how bad spiritual adultery is? Do you realise how bad idolatry is? If we have got a problem with God's judgement here, we have not come to grips with the heinousness of our sin. And then Moses steps in again. Verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have, sinned, they have made themselves gods of gold. Now please forgive them their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses becomes a mediator. He stands between God and his people. And he says, I want the judgment to come on me. If you're going to blot them out, blot me out. And unfortunately what we see is God still punishes them. Yes, he forgives them by not wiping them out, but there's judgment to come. But the beautiful thing is we've got a better mediator, the Lord Jesus. He steps between God and us. And Jesus takes the wrath of God on himself for us. God's judgment goes on him, not us. And I wonder today, as you're looking at this passage, if you have seen uh, yourself in it, I wonder if you have seen that in your life you have made uh, things in this world the ultimate, not God. I wonder if you have seen your great need to come to Jesus and to be... Be friends with him, not enemies. 
You see, if you do not know Jesus today, can I just say, out of love, I don't like saying this, but you're in trouble. Jesus is going to come back in judgment. And the only place to be safe when Jesus comes back is to be under the shadow of the cross. Have you put your trust in Jesus' death for you? I've got a mate who's, uh, who used to be a fiery, and uh, he had some great stories. And he, te- he told me this one story once, and it was amazing. He told it over about 15 minutes. I'll give you the short version. He, he, he to- told a story about how they, they were fighting a fire out, you know, out in the bush one time. And uh, there was a bunch of different fires around. And then he, then he felt this wind just come. And it was a very, very hot wind. And he knew it was coming from a place where there was another fire. And then he literally heard the fire come before he saw it. And, and the fire came through a valley. He could hear the um, explosions of, of trees just exploding as the wrath of the fire came through. And they just dropped all their stuff and they ran and they ran and they ran. Off to the side, there, there, was, there was this old burnt-out shed where the fire only a few days ago had gone, but it was gone. The, the fire had gone and now it, it was just a black hole. So they ran over there because they were taught as fireys, when you're in trouble, when the fire is coming... The, the place that you've got to go, the safest place that you can go when the wrath of the fire is coming is going where the wrath of the fire has gone before. And when it comes to your own sin and the wrath of God, the safest place that you can be is where the wrath of God has gone before. And that is Jesus on the cross where he takes the wrath of God for you. Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus? who took your and my punishment for our spiritual adultery, our spiritual rebellion against him? Have you come to the place where you've gone, I can see that I need this, but I can also see God's great love for me in doing that for me? Have you come to that place today? If you haven't, please come and see me. If you haven't, please come to our fresh look as we'll be exploring this more. But this is the most important question you will ever get asked. And it's really important that you have the right answer. How about we pray? Father God, we, we just want to confess to you right now that we have all committed idolatry. We have all committed spiritual adultery. We have all looked to things that are not you to find our happiness, our contentment in. Lord, and as we've looked at this passage and as we thought about, about the things in it, we realize how much our idolatry has, has offended you and hurt you. And Lord, we want to say we're sorry. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us in taking the, the punishment that was us, right, rightly ours. Thank you that Jesus is the one who took the trauma of forgiveness on himself. Thank you that we can be safe from the wrath of God because we can go 
to where the wrath of God has gone before. Lord, help us to flee to that. Lord, 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 I pray for those of us here today that have already fled to that place. Lord, may, may we have hearts that are full of joy knowing that you have done everything that, uh, that we need to be saved. For those of us who are still figuring out where they're at with you, we pray that they would take this seriously. They would seek, explore, ask questions, but they would come to a place where they put their trust in you also. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.